Guy Vincent, welcome to the podcast. Aaron, thank you for having me today. Absolutely. So uh, Hungry Minds is a podcast that explores the power of questions and curiosity and dwelling in possibility. And you are a wonderful guest because you are someone that's really, I think, is challenging the status quo of what a literary agency and publishing can look like. You are the CEO of Publishizer, which is a crowdfunding literary agency. So perhaps before we go any further, could you define your company and what exactly is a crowdfunding literary agency and how does that differ from a traditional literary agency? Yeah, thanks, Aaron. We're also trying to figure out what a crowdfunding literary agency is ourselves, since no one <laughs> tried it before, as far as we're aware. But yeah, I think most people are familiar with what crowdfunding is these days. Uh, Kickstarter and Indiegogo being two famous examples of these platforms. If you have a creative project that you want to bring to life, you can use the support from a crowd of supporters to bring that project to life, often through financial contributions, which allow the creator then to go ahead and complete that project and deliver it to the supporters, preferably with some kind of uh, bonuses or gifts or rewards for offering support. So that's the crowdfunding part. Uh, a literary agency, traditionally, they are connecting authors with publishers. If an author is looking for a publisher to take their work to the next level, meaning reach the most readers possible, they normally want a traditional publisher. And an agent basically has their finger on the pulse of the market. They know who the publishers are and they know how to get an author's idea sold to a publisher. And we've decided, well, I say decided, but it's been more of an organic flow of events um, bringing those two worlds together where an author crowdfunds their book idea with readers and Publishizer pitches that idea to relevant publishers who can then see that there's a bunch of readers who are already interested in this idea. And, um, yeah, what this does is it makes the author a more attractive uh, acquisition to publishers yeah, we've helped about a bit over 500, I think it's closer to 600 authors now, land a publishing deal in this way. Excellent. So it sounds like one of the key differentiators of Publishizer versus, say, other crowdfunding platforms like Kickstarter, which casts a wider net, you're specifically focused on, uh, on books. That's correct. Yeah. Publishizer, it, it began as just a straight... It's very simple crowdfunding platform for books. We were very excited at um, the rise of self-publishing. I had self-published a, a book myself on how to wake up early, and uh, I'd experienced the difficulties and the struggles of that process. So, um, yeah, we, we had we helped maybe fifty or so authors crowdfund their book, but it became quite clear that the majority of them were still struggling with the self-publishing piece. Even though they had the funds to complete their book, they still had to figure out how to construct their story arc and how to edit it in a, in a way that makes it a strong narrative, how to do their interior design, the jacket design, how to figure out metadata and ebook conversion and printing and distribution and marketing. There are all these things that need to be done. And an author has to learn that themselves from scratch if they're a first-time author. So we started 
basically trying to place these authors who had successfully crowdfunded their book with publishers who, yeah, to, to our surprise, were like, wow, this looks great. They've already got a couple of hundred readers who are interested in this. Um, they can cover the printing cost of the first run. So, yeah, let's, let's get this book published. And over time, we learned how to use software to do this uh, more efficiently and to give the author more more offers and more options to choose from right. in their book. Right. And it sounds like one of the key advantages of going with Publishizer versus, say, Kickstarter, which allows anyone to generate uh, you know, fans, friends, uh, one social network to, to support the project, is that once you've generated that, in your case, you guys have relationships with varying uh, publishing houses and i imagine that's one of the key advantages yes that's that's the the single biggest advantage right. i would say um if an author is looking to um just crowdfund a book and and self-publish it uh i think you know kickstarter and indiegogo are fantastic platforms and certainly they you know they they have some of the biggest audiences in the world and um and it's really good at, at doing that but, you know, what we've learned through working with many authors is um, there's there's a dream for many authors to get a, a publisher to help them with their book. And the, the current way of doing that, it's, it's simply it's a broken process. Um, when an author pitches uh, an acquiring editor at a publishing house or even a literary agent, their rejection rates are astronomical. They're unacceptable. It's higher than 99%. And yeah, this, this creates a very frustrating loop for authors where they're just dealing with rejection time and time and time again. And in the age of Tinder, we don't think that's acceptable anymore. Why can't <laughs> software figure that out and um, use some, some clever software to get those book ideas in front of publishers and then let those publishers express interest in the ones they're interested in so the author can then see that there's a range of interest in their idea rather than being rejected a bunch of times. They now have a series of options in front of them and they can then go ahead and connect with the publishers who they're, they're interested in. Um, and often they will have the, the support or the, yeah, the help of, of one of our agents to navigate them through that process. But you're right, Kickstarter and Indiegogo are great for crowdfunding for self-publishing but it won't help you to attract a publisher, which is what we focus on doing. Excellent. You know, I want to actually rewind the tape a bit uh, and get a sense of uh, your own path that led you to, to found this company. So was this something that you had always dreamed about or did you wind up kind of stumbling into this? How did you, um, how did the path unfold for you to found this crowdfunding literary agency? It was definitely more of the stumbling, stumbling option there. Um, yeah, so I guess I jumped the gun a bit uh, just now. So yeah, I, I actually st had studied city planning and development. So I'd always had an idea that I would go into town planning, but you know, destiny had something else in mind for me. I suppose I'd uh, graduated in two thousand and eight. It was a recession, and I was struggling to get a job. Um, but I had done this self-publishing experiment in my final year of college, which was, you know, 
how can I share something with the world and learn about internet marketing and Google AdWords and do it on something that, you know, I've also been struggling with myself, which was waking up early. (laughs) I realized that there was something like, I don't know, what was it? There was about 10,000 clicks on waking up, 10,000 searches, sorry, on waking up early and how to wake up early. It was a problem I faced myself and it was cheap to advertise. It was nine cents per click at the time. So that seemed to fit the mold of a good ebook niche. So um, yeah, I basically would wake up early uh, every day, normally at 5 a.m. for about a month or so, testing out different techniques and experiments. And during that time, I pulled together this ebook called Waking Up Early, self-published it. It did way better than I expected. <laughs> um, so it sold, I mean, in the end, I maybe sold 5,000 copies of the thing, um, but it, I can't, I couldn't avoid the fact that it was an awfully written bunch of uh, drivel. <laughs> I, I had put it together rather sporadically. And I was, honestly, I was quite ashamed of the quality of the book. So I I took it down with the intention of publishing it properly one day. Um, But yeah, unbeknownst to me, that experiment would end up with me landing a job, starting up the digital publishing division of uh, Southeast Asia's largest book printing company, Tianhua Press in Singapore. And yeah, there I published something like a hundred book apps, mostly educational children's and comic book apps. And it was here where I met many creators, illustrators, writers um, who couldn't afford to produce a book app, let alone fund a a print run for their their book. That was where the idea for a crowdfunding platform for books came. Uh, But it would be a long winding journey from there to where we are today. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a fascinating journey, just the element of uh, synchronicity and uh, if one's receptive and open to, I guess, in your case, following this this hunch uh, to be able to try to wake up earlier and align that with uh, the desire to perhaps communicate that to a larger audience. It's fascinating how some experiments can actually open up a whole new pathway in life. So I did not see it coming, Aaron, I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's great. Um, Now, given that you've been involved in publishing for a while now, uh, I imagine that books in some capacity, if not historically, at least for the last number of years, have have been very uh, instrumental in your life. So so what are some of uh, your favorite books that have had a seminal impact uh, on your thinking and uh in life oh, there are so many um, well, maybe i'll start with um my favorite author which is, who is michael pollan he's yeah. famous for the omnivores dilemma right. food fight cooked um but my my favorite book of his is the botany of desire it's just an extraordinarily well written book about the hidden life of plants and how those plants intertwine in in our own human lives. So, I mean, I think he has some pretty radical ideas, mostly that humans can communicate with plants or at least tap into plant consciousness in a way, but there have been some studies done to to back that up, most notably the Korean ladies walking through the forest 
um, and observing the impact that old growth forests versus young growth forests versus urban environments have on measurable pulse rates and heart, heart rates and stuff like that. So I, I think he did an astounding job on, on that book, The Botany of Desire. And then recent, uh, this, earlier this year, he published what I would call his seminal work, which is How to Change Your Mind, um, which deals with the, the rise of, of psychedelics, um, but not just psychedelics, but the trans, more so the transformative states that they are having on people all around the world. Um, this was a massive radical departure from his usual food writing, where this is a, a 60-something New York journalist who hadn't touched a single psychedelic substance in his life, decided to basically foray into this world um, for his own personal reasons, mostly to concerning uh, the death of his father and how um, psilocybin had been helping people confronting their own mortality to, to deal with that and accept that death is a natural part of life. So I thought that um, that, that was probably his greatest book, um, and I would highly encourage anyone who's curious about um, not just psychedelics but altered states and how they can um, change our, our worldview, our perspective on people and relationships and our place in the world to, to check that one out. Absolutely. I, I read it and a big fan of Michael Pollan and I had been pretty familiar with uh, psychedelic history, had read a number of different books, but I thought he did a wonderful job of being able to encapsulate not only the, the history but then also being able to look at, which I think was the, you know, another catalyst for him. It started with a New Yorker article, and then that grew into this book. But I think he was following the research, looking at a lot of these clinical trials at John Hopkins and NYU of people that are in these existential states, have these terminal illnesses, um, or have major psychological problems and just the transformative effect these psychedelics did have. There wasn't any comparison to any of the pharmaceuticals available. So it seemed like how could we have something that have these potential life altering effects and how is it, how is it um, not, not available, at least in a psychiatric context? So, yeah, okay. remarkable book. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's it's definitely highly recommended. And, um, you know, I think it's interesting. This, this will be a good segue. So this is he's a great example of how to write a great book. Um, that's obviously one side of the equation um, to perhaps selling uh, books is being able to is, is being able to write uh, a good book. Um, obviously, your platform is not so much focused on those elements, although I do know there are some great tips on how to develop a good book proposal and so forth. So if we are to kind of get back to the crowdfunding model, what does it take to launch a successful campaign? What, what are some of the tips and the tricks that you can offer um, for people that might have a, a book idea and might be interested in exploring this crowdfunding model? What are some of the things that they have to do in order to make it successful? I don't think it's as simple as just adding water and it's microwavable, there's probably some things that, 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 that are helpful. <laughs> yeah, certainly. So it all, like many things, it all begins with a story. Um, a book proposal is simply like, uh, you can think of it as a business plan for a book. 
Um, although what you want to communicate is what's the story behind this book. If it's a fiction, if it's a fiction work, then who are the characters? What's the plot? You know, give give readers a, a bit of a taste of what's gonna gonna come. If it's a non-fiction book, then they're going to be looking more for the outline. What are the reader benefits? What am I going to learn from this book? But certainly, I think it's important to share some of the stories that you're going to be sharing through this book. Um, so that's that's the first phase is getting this proposal right, and we've basically been building this uh, guided step by step book proposal template to to help someone who has no idea uh, what a book proposal is and has never done it before, we will guide them step by step so that you cover all of the main sections that a, a publisher is looking for. So, I mean, it begins with a few simple things like, what is your working title? How can we try to create something short and concise and memorable? Subtitle, how are you going to explain what the book is, if it's a nonfiction book? And then um, where I encourage most, re- most authors to really nail down um, the core idea is what's called the hook. The hook is how would you describe your book to your friend? It's just a very concise, um, natural language, plain English explanation of the book and so on and so forth. It'll guide you through all of those sections. You then submit that proposal to one of, to our team. One of our agents will review it, offer feedback and guidance we want to make sure that the proposal is ready to be seen by publishers before you even launch the crowdfunding campaign. So once you're ready, you'll have someone there working with you through this process. Uh, you hit a launch button. You'll have 30 days to for this, this crowdfunding campaign. Um, Publishizer will basically give you a bunch of step-by-step tips um, on how to do this. The, the first one is... Um, yeah, basically inviting readers to follow along on your publishing journey. So we integrated with uh, the Google Google Contacts API. So you can send invites to people in your Google Contact list who you think may be interested. And you can tell them a bit about, hey, guys, I'm, I'm writing this book. Um, I'm using Publishizer to find a publisher for it. If you're interested, pre-order a copy. And we've got a bunch of bonuses um, for you if you're if it's something that you're interested in. This is normally enough to get the campaign off and away. And we've got a lot of inbuilt um, sharing features and tools so that when readers pre-order a copy or when they hear about it, if they really love that hook, uh, then they will be able to go out and share that with, with other people. At this stage, uh, Publishizer has an inbuilt audience of about 1,000 readers. Um, we promote high-performing campaigns once a, once a week um, based on categories that readers are interested in. Uh, we will share the best-performing campaign each week in those categories with them. So that's kind of like the, the publishizer platform side of the piece. But then everything else is kind of like, what do I do? You know, if, if you're new to this and this is your first crowdfunding campaign, um, you do not have an email list that you do not have a, a massive Twitter following and that you're a first-time newbie to that is not uh, a problem. We've seen so many cases where authors don't have an email list and don't have a massive social media presence, run a successful crowdfunding campaign and 
connect with many publishers and land a traditional publishing deal. In that case, the most effective platform is is Facebook. Uh, that's where most of the traffic comes from. And it's not about making posts and spamming people's feeds. It's about really getting out there and sharing your story with the world. You go to Facebook Messenger. You think of your friends who may be interested in, in this book that you're working on. And you ask them for help. Ask them to, to share it with people who they think are going to be interested in it. Um, one example I, I think of is a lady, Stangle. Uh, she was writing a book called Roots of Consciousness. She wanted to basically share the latest scientific research on what we understand about consciousness. She did not really have uh, a huge list to draw upon, but she got there. She shared her video. Um, people saw her video and they immediately understood the concept of what she wanted to explain in this book. Um, people shared that video around. She was very, um, she was great at sharing regular updates. So yeah, I think if you're willing to, um, share the, your message at the beginning of the campaign and share regular updates on Facebook throughout your campaign, then you're going to increase your chances of running a successful campaign. Right. Yeah, I mean, it makes a certain amount of intuitive sense. I guess if someone was a little more skeptical um, in terms of being able to take advantage of their social capital through social media, on one hand, some of the skepticism makes sense, uh, given that everyone is vying for attention and clicks. And often, even amongst friends, you might send an article or something you think is compelling, and perhaps you don't get any much of a response where that takes perhaps less time than investing money into supporting someone. So how do you, how would you uh, push back against that? Whereas on one hand, uh, people are so busy with, uh, with, with, with their attention that now you're asking for even more than just attention, but a commitment in terms of financial support. Um, so, so what would you say are the differences? Are people more compelled if you're asking for help versus like you might find this video or article interesting? So there's, there's two pieces to it. One is you're, you're asking for help. And I think it is important to make that ask clear, but the mm. second one is what's in it for them. Right. So people are self-interested by nature and, and that's okay because, um, if you do, uh, make some offer something that's valuable for people where they can see a really direct benefit for themselves, then they're going to be more likely to be interested, right? So the way that these bonuses are structured is um, the, the author offers you additional um, experiences, um, bonuses, materials, uh, things that sweeten the deal a little bit when they, when they support the campaign. Um, based on our stats, we can see that, um, like bigger tier experiences are something that really resonate with people. It's not just about the book. It's about what's the idea behind this book and how can I participate in it in a way that's more than just a piece of paper that's been bound. So things like retreats are super popular. Um, coaching is super popular. 
Um, if you're working on a nonfiction book, then um, it's there's a lot of opportunities to do speaking and workshops with with companies who want to work with thought leaders and people who are sharing new and interesting ideas. If it's a fiction book, um, for sure, it's you've got to be a little bit more creative sometimes. Um, but something as simple as giving acknowledgement inside the book is sometimes enough for people to, you know, put their hand into their wallet and pull out 50 bucks to support someone who's writing the story. You will forever be acknowledged as one of the, the patrons or supporters of, of this book. If you offer that to 50 people, um, even having 50 people commit $50, that's a, a meaningful contribution. And, um, yeah, if those people, uh, share the campaign, then it's likely to get you up to maybe a hundred people who support the campaign. And someone may say, yeah, but it's only a hundred people supporting this project, but actually a hundred people is a really good beginning. It's a really good start. Um, this shows potential publishers that you're, you're able to connect with people that there's, um, that there's interest in this idea that you have put forth and you're already way, way, way ahead of the game than the authors who come to a publisher with just a proposal but without any readers to, to back it up. So that's where this crowdfunding system um, allows uh, an author to, you know, do what they can for 30 days and, you know, there will be an agent there supporting you and providing you with, with guidance throughout this process you, you will not be all alone in this process, then, then that should be enough to get you that visibility or exposure to publishers who can then work with you on guiding that story and creating a marketing plan and bringing distribution channels and know-how on your specific category or genre that you're working on. So th we think there's a bit of a missing link in there in the publishing industry that connects authors with publishers. And so we're trying to kind of uh, fill that fill that gap and bridge the gap, should I say, between authors and publishers using crowdfunding. Absolutely, yeah, it makes it makes uh, sense. Now, would you give any recommendations if people, on a preliminary level, before launching this campaign, wanting to verify that their social network would in fact support them? In even smaller ways, are there any ways that you would recommend that people can begin to exercise uh, and interact within their social network or grow their email list uh, as a way of testing the waters around some of their yeah. ideas? Yes, yeah, certainly. I think it's um, the probably the easiest thing to do is way before you even uh, launch a crowdfunding campaign, just make a post on on Facebook. Say, "Hey guys, I'm." thinking of launching a crowdfunding campaign. Um, here's my idea. Is this something you think would be interesting? And if people are liking it and commenting on it, then that, that indicates at a very preliminary level that, um, that there, there is likely to be a response when you, when you go for it. Right. Um, if, if you want to do something a little bit more, more proactive, um, what we encourage is to send out these invites before you launch your campaign, maybe like a month or so before. That way people can opt in uh, to subscribe to your campaign updates well before you launch your campaign. 
Updates just simply means uh, they someone has agreed to receive emails from you. Uh, this is via Publishizer, but it can be via an email list as well. Um, and if you send a weekly update on how things are going, preparing for your campaign, for example, your video is ready, here, check it out, or I'm going to be launching in one, one week, what do you think of these bonuses? And then updating people once a week throughout the campaign. This is, this is just engagement, and engagement is what people are, are craving. Um, it's, it's one thing to be bombarded by, by ads online, but if you're engaging with people and creating a conversation or a dialogue with them on Facebook, on Publishizer, on Twitter, on Medium increasingly, um, you can get people more, more emotionally involved in this project you're creating. And yeah, it's a book. It, most people uh, love books and being able to experience the behind the scenes of how a book comes to be made is often quite interesting to them. Something like 80% of people dream of publishing a book one day. So there's a good chance that a lot of the people out there in your existing network have thought about writing a book one day, and you're basically going out there and showing them how it can be done. So it's possible to build a supporter base just by putting yourself out there through this campaign. Right. It makes me think of uh, Kevin Kelly's uh, 1000 True Fans, this post. He's the one of the founders of Wired Magazine. And he was saying with the, the crowdfunding platforms that, that have been enabled by uh, the, the web, uh, really all one needs, if one's an artist, a writer, a musician, is 1,000 true fans to professionally be uh, a content creator rather than focusing on millions, which is, of course, what traditional music companies and publishing houses have to do. Um, and there's that long tail that the aggregators of Amazon and Netflix noticed that they were selling as much an aggregate of the small kind of obscure titles as they were of the big ones, um, you know, in total. And so there is this true market out there now, while it might seem relatively straightforward how to capture that audience, as you're mentioning, there's a lot of preliminary steps that can be done. Uh, and in fact, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in order to, to be successful. So I really appreciate um, you kind of walking us through the steps of not only how to launch the campaign, but what can even be done beforehand um, in order to sort of reach the audience, test the waters and get a sense uh, if one's ideas um, are resonating. Now, another uh, question that comes up uh, from this is, is what kinds of books are readers hungry for today? Uh, given you have your finger on the pulse, what, what are people looking for um, uh, this particular time? What's sort of the ethos of our time, if you will? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. And certainly I think you, you hit it on hit the nail on the head when you're talking about um, Chris Anderson's long tail, because that's exactly where <clears throat> I believe the, the market is. And that seems our, our data seems to back that up as well, that you don't need to have millions of people interested in your, your book idea. Um, if, if you can, can resonate with a thousand people, this is, this is really, uh, it's, it's enough. It's enough to, to at least get you in the door to the traditional publishing world. 
who can then take you from that first thousand fans and extrapolate that out to other people around the world who there certainly uh, will be if you're able to connect with a thousand people. So I think it's um, the niche niche genres and niche topics are really good. So when you um, are thinking about your book idea, the biggest temptation and I would say mistake that most authors make is they try to write a book that is going to appeal to everyone or mm-hmm. it's going to appeal to entrepreneurs or it's going to appeal to parents. Mm-hmm. But what, what readers are actually looking for is something that appeals to them. So perhaps they're an entrepreneur focusing on software as a service business models or they're focusing on marketplace businesses. That's a more niche kind of topic. Or instead of focusing on parenting, maybe you want to focus on uh, one of one of our books was how to give birth in Bali. That's <laughs> a very specific topic, but it did yeah. really, really well. And what we're seeing is the rise of niche genre fiction topics, such as mermaid romance or Amish thrillers. Wow. I know that my my mother just can't get enough of these Amish thriller novels. She'll buy every single one that's out there. Um, and similarly for me, um, some a genre which I've been, I guess, getting lost in more recently is something called startup thrillers. What is a startup thriller? It's where you basically create a story around what it's like being in the startup world. Sometimes it has mm. to do with, you know, like founder disputes and vesting schedules and cap tables, but it's also like, the, the the egos, the disputes, all this kind of stuff is very common in startup life. So, I mean, there are so many ways that you can design or create your own niche category or genre. Um, and, yeah, the more specific you get normally, the, the better it, it will be. Um, I mean, I... I in the in terms of where the industry is, what the industry is looking for, um, health and wellness is is huge. This is our second highest performing category on on the site. Anything to do with meditation, breath work, uh, movement, um, yeah, like all the different kinds of ways you can apply yoga and yoga principles to other areas of your life is quite quite in demand. Um, I do think that consciousness is a increasingly attractive topic for the traditional publishing world as well. So people exploring consciousness. Um, but yeah, on the fiction side, it's all about super hyper niche interest. There's plenty of um, uh, sites out there where you can discover which niches uh, are trending. But I would normally encourage people not to... Um, get too caught up on on the numbers, but really just focus on telling the story that you want to tell. Because at the end of the day, you will write. Uh, it'll, the work will be better. The writing will be stronger, and that's what's going to connect with readers at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And I had no idea there was such a thing as Amish thrillers. <laughs> Amish thrillers are a thing. Right. Yeah. I guess. I guess everything can be a thing if uh, there's probably some audience out there for everything. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We've we've got a guy um, doing. Uh, he his first book was called um, "The Art of Health Hacking." His name is T.J. Anderson. 
great idea, um, really great useful knowledge. It, was, it did it, it did well, and he landed a publisher for it. It was also relatively broad. Um, he's now getting ready for his next book, which is a cookbook for couples. Stuff like this is is great because I know for for myself, I love cooking with my girlfriend, but often we don't do it as much as possible. So an idea like that is is really attractive and really interesting, and it's it's niche. Um, in fact, the very first campaign ever to launch on Publishizer was a cookbook for backpackers <laughs> called The Backpacker Chef. It was a small pocket-sized cookbook um, with recipes that you can basically find the ingredients anywhere in the world and you can cook them from backpacker hostels anywhere in the world. That also did really well. So, yeah, zooming in on your niche and really trying to create the best book possible around that niche, you're setting yourself up for success. Absolutely. Yeah, well, it's given me a lot to think about. And, uh, and I'm sure those tuning in will also uh, find this quite, quite instructive in terms of the possibilities that are out there, as well as uh, being able to focus in on, on what exactly is their niche, what, what is their idea. Um, I believe you kind of alluded to this, but, but it just came to my mind that rather than trying to project to an audience of millions of people, would, uh, would you recommend that you're trying to write a book for a particular friend or group of people? Is there, is there a way of, of, have, of having somebody that you can imagine you're writing it for? Is there anything yeah. along those terms? Yeah, certainly. So um, this is something, it's a, a technique which I, I use myself and many editors will tell you likewise, is imagine you're writing for one particular person. Right. It can be someone who you know, it could be a friend, it could be a role model, it could be someone who you aspire to, to be like. Um, as you're writing, imagine you're really writing a letter for them you will notice your language takes a very different tone than if you're writing for, you know, just an audience of, of blank faces, for example. Now, I do, th having said that, I do think it's important to think about who your audience is and, you know, where they hang out and what they're looking for, what problems they experience in their life, how do they, why would they want to read what it is that you're, you're writing about. So that's, that's important to, to think about that and um, have purpose. What do you want the reader to take out of this piece of writing that I'm putting out into the world? But when you're actually writing it, having someone in, in mind for that writing is, um, is important. Just, I guess, to give you an example, um, every week I send out these weekly updates to a, a group of people, mostly they're investors or potential investors, mentors, advisors. Every time I write one of these weekly updates, I have someone in my mind who I'm, I'm writing it for. I might not spell it out in such terms, but, but that person is who I'm, I'm writing, who I, who I have in mind. And I think it just gives you clarity. It gives you focus. And hopefully it increases the quality of the writing that comes right. out of it. Yeah, it seems like it takes on a little more nuance if you have sort of a personality uh, that, that you're writing for versus, as you said, just some blank audience. So, yeah, I think yeah. that's pretty helpful. Yeah. 
But you know, you know, that, that person could also be yourself. Okay. I mean, it's, there's nothing wrong with, with writing for yourself. Um, and especially in the fiction world, you know, you're, you're creating this entire complex world of characters. It, might, it doesn't make sense to write that for someone outside of yourself because you are the only person who knows this world. So, you know, as long as you're still writing for yourself, um, that there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Now, is there a particular book that you're yearning for that you hope somebody writes that you're waiting to be published? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, yes, there is. Um, I mean, it's, it's very, it's all about super specific niche audiences, right? So basically, the a concept which I've been following along for a while is something in the technology world called market networks. This is a, a business model which combines marketplaces with social networks. Mm. Um, we're seeing many of these uh, market networks um, emerging. Uh, I guess you could think of LinkedIn as being the the largest market network. It's a network for recruiters and employers, but it's also a marketplace of um, employee talent, let's say, and they have features for that. Um, where we're going with Publishizer is we're, we're building a market network of publishing professionals. So we want all of the acquiring editors, publishers, authors, agents, of course, readers as well will be a part of the social network side of it. So for me, I'm waiting for someone to write a, the defining guide to creating market networks. Um, but if you think about yourself and where you are in your life, chances are there's something on the horizon or something that you're really interested in at the moment that you've been following on and engaging with for a year or longer these are the kind of topics which the, the publishing industry is looking for because they know that you're, you already want it. You, you're already looking for it. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's me, but I'm sure you would have something very different, Aaron, <laughs> and everyone would have something different. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's just fascinating how the paradigm is shifting to where rather than just going to say, uh, the brick and mortar bookstore that was largely publishing uh, things that were had a kind of wide, widespread appeal. Now it's the it's the reader, it's the consumer that can help shape these markets in a certain sort of way. Uh, so that's it's fascinating uh, to think about the the markets that we're entering and that we're a part of, uh, perhaps unknowingly uh, already. Yeah, exciting times. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're looking for more specific topics, you know, perhaps some people in your audience might be out there. Next year, we're going to see a lot more stuff on what the bloody hell is crypto, what is blockchain, right. how is it going to impact my life. I think there's a huge opportunity for people who have been engaging with this for a while or have some experience with it. There's a hungry audience of people out there who just want to understand what is it and how will it affect my life. You know, don't bombard them with technical jargon on smart contracts and initial coin offerings. Explain to them in terms that they can understand how will it impact their, the, the job that they're working in now and how will it impact their children's education and savings plans? How will it impact 
banking and insurance. These are the kind of questions which I think people are looking to, to understand. Um, but yeah, psychedelics is still super hot. <laughs> right. I was at the Frankfurt Book Fair uh, last month meeting with a bunch of editors and yeah, they're just like, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. I want all of it. Um, so yeah, that topic I think has, has long-term appeal because it is likely to have an impact as legislation changes over the next decade or so. Um, and of course, Amish thrillers, um, <laughs> yeah, a growing audience for that as well. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. Uh, before we sign off, is there anything else you would like to, to add? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest, one of the biggest mistakes that most first-time authors make is they lock themselves up in, in a cabin of their own mind, sometimes physically in a cabin, and they power out this book, and they, they've, they've done it all on their own. And this can be a really difficult, painful, excruciating process if you don't have anyone guiding you or, or helping you. So there are some solutions that authors can take to avoid this unnecessary pain. One of them is working with an editor at a very early stage in, in their book. There's um, something called editorial strategy, which is where you, you hire an editor to work with you on creating uh, an outline for your book. Um, more than just a chapter outline, it's also like how do we create the, the style and tone that you want to write in and how do we bring your personality to the page as you're writing. Working with an editor at a very earlier stage in a book can, one, inc massively increase the quality of your writing, but more importantly, save you a whole bunch of pain and agony and rewriting further on down the line. So that's, that's one way to do it. Um, the other way to do it is to, uh, yeah, basically, if you're writing a nonfiction book, get a publisher for your book before you've even written the book. One of the best kept secrets of the publishing industry is that 90% of traditionally published nonfiction books have already signed a deal with the publisher before the book is written. This is testimony to how important it is to not write in a silo, but have someone working with you and someone you can bounce ideas off of when you get stuck. So if you are thinking about um, writing a book, um, I would encourage you to consider either hiring an editor or possibly getting a, a publisher for your book before you've even written the thing. It is achievable. It is possible. You don't need a huge email list. There are ways you can get help to, to do this. Great. Well, I imagine people are inspired listening to this and, and hopefully this will just increase the, the awareness of Publishizer as well as the potential for people that might have varying ideas but weren't sure how to go about uh, bringing them to fruition. So, so thanks so much, Guy. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, thank you, Aaron. I had a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Excellent.